Welcome to Safety Help with Tony Collins. Join him to learn how to improve workplace safety to be legally compliant, win more contracts and increase profits. Hi listeners and welcome back. This podcast is actually part of a series I have produced that explains how to set up your own safety system. The audio is taken from a video training course which is available for free from my website www.safetyhub.co.nz but you know I know some people like the podcast format which is probably you know why you're listening now but if you do prefer video or even want to buy the product that goes with the course it's all on the website and the details are there but let's get into this particular chapter right away. Welcome back. The next three chapters form the core of your health and safety system. If you didn't have anything that would harm your employees or damage your equipment, then you would not need a health and safety system. These next three chapters are going to form the core of the whole system. At the end of the process I'm going to take you through, we're going to develop a list of hazards, things that can hurt you, and link them to jobs. Now this is really important and it makes it easier down track. Let me give you an example. If you were uh, an aircraft refueler working on an airport, you, you may have identified that noise is a problem for that person and said the control measure is going to be to wear air defenders. And you've put a process in place to monitor that, that air defenders are working and that person's getting the, the right equipment. Once you've done that work, you can link it to that job so that whenever someone comes into that job, you already know what training they need. You already know what equipment they need because you know what hazards they're going to be exposed to. The beauty is you can also apply that hazard management of that particular hazard to another person who works in a similar environment. So you could apply the air defenders and the way you monitor them to the baggage controllers. So it's really important that we get this work done right the first time because everything else will flow. By the end of the next few chapters, you'll be able to answer the following questions. What hazards are present in your workplace? Are they significant? And we'll define that later. If so, what control measures are in place and are they good enough? How are you going to maintain them and monitor them? And uh, what monitoring may be required? The, the video we're going to do now, the chapter, is going to focus on the first question of how to identify a hazard. In New Zealand, we use the word hazard to define something that can hurt you. And in other parts of the world, they use the word risk. For example, if I had a cup of coffee in my hand, the risk of getting burnt by that coffee uh, by me is, is quite low. I think I'm fairly coordinated. I'm not going to burn myself. But if I held the same cup of coffee over somebody's head while I was talking to them, the risk is going to increase. The likelihood of burning them is going to increase. But what if I put the cup of coffee down on a table? You know, the, you, you would say the risk is now quite low. Then if I said to you, well, actually, that table's lo- located in the kindergarten with kids running around. So risk is really context-based. When we're thinking about a hazard, we need to think about the risk. We're going to talk about that later on, but to keep it quite simple, in a nutshell, a hazard is something that can hurt you. 
So it's really important that we uncover and find all the hazards in your workplace. And it's critical that we do this in a systematic manner because they may come out and, and catch you out later on and bite you. Also, I've seen companies who haven't correctly identified a hazard and put control measures in place that weren't required. And I'll give you an example. I was working with a, a client who have a printing press and they were issuing air defenders, once again, to their staff and requiring those staff to wear those air defenders to protect them from noise and noise-induced hearing loss. Whenever you're issuing someone with PPE or personal protective equipment like air defenders, they then have to monitor that the controls are working, which meant every year that company was paying for those employees to go and have an annual hearing test. Now, the point of, of this story is that you don't need to do that unless you've actually measured the noise and identified a hazard. You may be sold on the concept by a company that you need to wear air defenders and do annual hearing tests, and you might just be trying to do the right thing. But in fact, the right thing is to define the hazard. Now, if the noise is not loud enough to hurt someone, you don't need to give them hearing de defenders from a health point of view. Now, you may want to do this from a management point of view because you know, it might be a nuisance or, or whatever. You know, some, somebody's music is another one's pain. Um, but that's a different issue. From a health point of view, identifying the hazard, hazard correctly at the, at the get-go will make it cost-effective for you to focus on what you need to focus on. In doing the hazard identification, you need to get as many employees involved as possible. And that's purely because we're all of a different background. We all have our own ways of looking at the world. And your employees all do different jobs. And funnily enough, probably no one's ever asked them, what hazards do you have in your workplace and how do you think we can fix them? So this is part of the process I'm going to teach you. I remember an example when I saw a worker high up on a roof. He was a subcontractor to a painter preparing a, a corrugated iron roof to be painted with a machine, you know, that looked like a, a buffing machine. It also had water coming out of the machine and he wore gumboots. So effectively that guy was turning that corrugated iron roof into an ice skating rink. And as you can see in the picture, if he fell from there, he was going to hurt himself or worse. If that guy was employed by me, then I'd be responsible for that dangerous work practice. And incidentally, that the same thinking applies for any contractors or subcontractors, which is why we're talking about how to manage contractors in another video. So in this case, the guy on the roof went and got a harness after being challenged, and he got that off his contractor. He was contracting to a painter, and he anchored it to the other side of the roof he was working on. However, when I next saw him, he was working on the same side as the anchor point, if you know what I mean. It's, the harness was not going to work. You know, I parked my bike and came around the corner 30 seconds later, and all of a sudden, the anchor point was on the right side of the roof. So what does that mean to you? You have to identify and put in place controls for all work that could harm people. You can't expect or rely on your employees or contractors to just be safe and use common sense because they don't necessarily do that all the time. So let's now work through the hazard ID process. I've provided a, a template for you for the hazard ID. 
If you can get that out, we'll start working through it. The first place to start when writing a list of hazards is to look at past lessons within your workplace. Do you have a formal reporting book where you put in details of any incidents? Have you investigated any incidents or accidents? And are there recommendations? What needs to be improved within your workplace? By that I mean, are certain accidents always occurring? Are the same body parts always being injured again and again within your workplace? Grab the details and put those into your hazard ID template. Next, what we're going to do is talk to your employees. The next goldmine to tap into is the experience of your employees. And there are several reasons to do this. One, employees often know the hazards that they, uh, they face in their workplace. They often have ideas on how to control them. And as I've mentioned, perhaps they haven't been asked before. Uh, the Health and Safety Act actually requires that employees get involved. And down track, when you're implementing a system, the only way to do that is to engage your employees, make it theirs. If they know what's harming them and how to control it because they've helped identify the hazard, then they're going to be engaged and you're not going to have to try and force things upon them. So what have your employees learned the hard way around your workplace that, have, that has harmed them or someone else? Damaged equipment. So what have your employees learned the hard way around the workplace? Have they hurt themselves or other people? Have they damaged equipment? Often I find when asking a, a person about their workplace, can you tell me about the hazards in your workplace? They will come out and tell you all about it. And then they'll tell you about how someone's always getting hurt along there and they kind of knowingly chuckle at the, the new person when they arrive you're always getting hurt by that because, you know, they're the greenhorn, you know, they're the newbie on the workplace. Uh, so what we're trying to do is cut all that out. We don't need them to learn the hard way because someone already has. Let's write it down. So we're going to help facilitate getting employees involved, and there are two steps to do that. The first step is to give everybody the hazard ID template that, that you've got. Now, you may need to set aside some time, or you will need to, but it's up to you how you want to do it, either in a group session or one-on-one -on -one where you have um, a Dropbox, anonymous Dropbox, where people put hazards. You might want to do it online as some kind of ongoing survey. Um, it's up to you, but the main thing is to get them engaged. And you know, I've, I find actually the group situation works the best, You know, even if it's 20 minutes of picked people from the workplace, the, um, the team leader or the supervisor and someone who's um, proficient in a piece of equipment who, who could actually talk to that, the hazards on that piece of equipment. So we want to do some brainstorming. We want to ask some what-if questions. We want to uncover every hazard by getting everyone involved. And you could even have a reward, if you like, a reward system. Um, an immediate reward system for the best ideas or, you know, a, an ongoing long-term reward system where you reward people monthly for identifying new hazards. Um, even ask people, are they carrying any injuries at the moment? How are they carrying them? Why are they carrying them? And like I mentioned before, it's crucial that they get involved. You really have to go through this step because we want to get them engaged 
they need to feed into the system. They're from different backgrounds and they will know about the hazards that you're trying to uncover rather than you as perhaps, you know, the health and safety uh, person who may be a bit distant from that, distant from that hazard. One suggested way to complete, complete the forms, one suggested way to complete the forms would be to work in little groups, have everybody fill them in and check each other and then offer them up to the group so that they can discuss them. What we're trying to do here, remember, we're putting the net really wide, casting the net wide to grab all the hazards that we can. We're brainstorming. We're just putting it all in there. We're going to filter it in the next chapter. We want, we want everything identified. Okay, the hazard ID form has now done its job. You've talked to employees, you've gone and done your research, and you've put everything that you know onto this template. The problem with that is it relies on past experience. And what I mean by that is that there are definitely hazards that you have not identified in your workplace yet, and that if you don't have a process to go and find them, you're in effect waiting for someone to trip over them, perhaps literally, and hurt themselves or damage equipment. So we need we need a step B, a, 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 a mechanism to actually uncover the hazards that are identified. And how do you do that? Well, you could, I suppose you could go wandering around your workplace and sort of try and find stuff, um, but that's not particularly helpful. And it's really important that we take this next step because it's really proactive in identifying the hazards because they're the ones that could perhaps bite you. They're the ones that could really make a difference to your business because you've perhaps covered off on the other ones and, and are controlling them. They can give you the competitive advantage over your, over your competitors because if you can control those hazards, then you're not going to be put out of uh, business. You know, a person's not going to be put out of business. A, a piece of equipment won't be. So we're going to go through a system to break down and find proactive hazards. And what we do is we break down the workplace into subcategories. And these are called physical, chemical, biological, um, design or ergonomic, and psychosocial. And I need to take you through these definitions because once you get a, your head around it, it makes it really easy to look at your workplace. So let's have a look at physical hazards. Usually we're talking about transfer of energy like falling or being hit by moving objects, heat in a foundry or a cold environment like working outdoors and freezing workers or, you know, working in gore, which is where my wife's from. <laughs> also included is radiation, electricity and high noise levels and vibrations, you know, like using portable power tools and pressure effects like diving for increased pressure or in aviation for decreased pressure. Radiation is a good example. I just read an article in Australia where a workplace uh, cancer melanoma from working outdoors and being exposed to sun, um, that person died and the family is getting a large six-figure uh, compensation package. So these need to be taken care of. The next category to look at is the chemical effects. I'm sure I don't need to define what a chemical is, but just remember it is not just in liquid form. It can come from fumes and welding or cutting, lead dust as in battery manufacturer, vapour, 
as in mercury vapour, mist as in chrome plating, and then there's gas, carbon monoxide. A, a good place to start when you're looking under chem- chemical is to look and see if you can see or smell anything when you're looking around your workplace. But just remember, you can't always see and smell all chemicals. Biological. Under this category are bacteria, viruses, fungi, and so on. Examples include Hep A and sewage work, Hep B in healthcare, skin infections from bacteria, farmer's lung from moulds, dust from agricultural work, which has a lot of biological material like animal hair and urine. And a recent example was Legionnaires from potting mix. And there's talk about including a breathing mask and attaching it to the potting mix. Design or ergonomic. You know, ergonomics is all about matching the job to the worker. And have a look at your workplace under this category. A recent and classic example was the way airlines um, or Air New Zealand have changed their checking procedures. It used to be the checking in person would have to move the bags. So you checked in, you put your bags on the scale, and then they'd have to lift them up from the scales and then put them on the conveyor belt. And the problem is that these people were not the big, burly baggage handlers. You see, tossing the bags, your bags around when they're, when they're helpfully uh, storing it into the cargo compartment. They're the less robust person and uh, perhaps are not matched to that sort of job. So a, re- a redesign was made. There was a, a conveyor belt embedded into the weigh machine. So you, you put your bags down and by design, it would move it onto the conveyor belt. So now they didn't have to touch it. That's redesigning the task. And of course, now they've actually taken that person out of the loop altogether and you go and check in yourself and put the bags on the conveyor belt and you do everything. That's really redesigning the task. But it's quite smart. You're taking the hazard off the worker. Psychosocial. These include stress and fatigue. Fatigue is a classic in this category. Does your workplace have shift workers, night workers, or extended hours of work? Fatigue is known to lead to both physical and mental impairment, which will increase the likelihood of a mistake being made and therefore accidents occurring, and it can also have a longer-term impact on a person's health. I have included a guide on healthy work, which includes stress and fatigue, and you can use this to help build up your control measures around fatigue and stress under this category. Okay, with these five categories in mind, we now are going to take the hazard register, which I've provided, and go and have a look at the areas in your workplace. And this is going to be like a, we'll call it a walkthrough, um, and we're going to, we need to time our walkthrough for when the most likely hazards are going to be present. For example, there's no point working through your workplace during the lunch hour when no one's actually working or moving about. Um, and also you want to include cyclic activities like maintenance work. They will occur less frequently, but they have their own hazards associated with them. So what we want to do is go to a predetermined area with people who know what is actually going on there and the health and safety rep who's perhaps um, actually going through this process. Now, I just want to re-emphasize here that this is actually may come across as quite technical, a little bit difficult. It's not. It's really simple, and it is the heart of your whole health and safety system. If you get this done and do it right, like I'm teaching you right now, then most of the work will be done. You will only need to 
change things when new equipment's introduced or a change in process occurs down track. This is the real meat of the whole system going on right here. So just, you've got to do it, bear with me. So we're going to go to a predetermined area and we're going to look at the five categories above and look at the workplace in one or a combination of different ways. We can look at an area. We can look at a machine or a technique, for example, a particular piece of machinery. Uh, we can look at the task. The task could be unloading or loading of bags at an airline check-in. That's, that's a task is sort of one discrete item. We can look at a process, which is an extension of the task. This could be using the baggage check-in example. This could be the complete check-in process from when the bags are checked in to when they're loaded off the aircraft at the other end and the passenger picks them up. Or we can look at the job and occupation. Usually we can look at the baggage handler, which has other school requirements like driving a vehicle and using a tug to move the aircraft or whatever and so on. So there are lots of different ways that we can look at a workplace. So let's have a look at this photo of these workers on a yacht in an attempt to identify hazards. It looks like we have a guy supervising or standing around, and um, they are not the same thing. A few guys moving equipment here, uh, a forklift in there, providing some kind of working platform for those two guys working on the keel. So looking at the area then, we start cycling through the categories of physical, chemical, biological, ergonomic, and psychosocial. I've picked an example under each category. And you, you, may, you may have many examples under each category. And in fact, you may only have one category with a potential hazard. Uh, also notice how the rubbish in the back of the photo can be both a chemical and biological hazard, which is the advantage of working through this method. You're breaking everything down into blocks and you're more likely to find stuff that you, you wouldn't have thought of before. And remember at the stage you can put anything down. There's no right or wrong. The goal is to cast the net wide and then later on we're going to filter out. Okay, here's a machine example. Notice how in their register I've just put enough information under the category so that when I get back into the office I remember what it is I needed to research and look into to confirm that that was a hazard. Okay, and the next area we're looking at is onto task. And let's have a look at having your hair washed. And it's quite simple to come up with hazards associated with getting your hair washed. And now we can expand this by looking at the whole process of your hair, getting your hair cut, which includes a customer walking in, having hair washed and cut, and then leaving. Notice if you're unsure of what category to put something under, like lighting, then put it in more than one. This is not a pass-fail test. The object is to lead you into writing down more, more hazards. The final category is the job or occupation. Personally, I find the easiest and most logical way to identify potential hazards is to use the task or process approach. If you follow a process from start to finish and have someone on the team who knows what's going on, then there is a logical flow to the process and it should be a complete hazard identification. Remember, we want you to be able to answer this question, what hazards are present in your workplace? And here's what you need to do. 
Obtain the Hazard ID template. Examine formal reporting books or past investigations and add previously identified hazards into the template. Now you need to talk to your employees, get them involved. Step A, give them a copy of the Hazard ID form. Facilitate some what-if questions, brainstorming. Enter individual ideas, perhaps have the team discuss it. Filter duplicated ideas. Have um, uh, an ideas box if you need one. Step B, break into smaller teams to review work tasks and processes under the categories of physical, chemical, biological, ergonomic, or psychosocial. When you have completed these steps, you would have made a very thorough hazard identification within your workplace. Leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else. You would have looked at hazards identified in the past and then actually gone through a proactive system to uncover hazards that are hidden at the moment. This work will pay huge dividends down track because you will be able to put in place controls that are needed and not put in controls that are not needed. However, you will have a huge list, say let's say you have a hundred hazards that you've identified, we now need to filter them because you do need to concentrate on those that really are going to harm you and they're called a significant hazard and by law we actually have to work through and find the significant hazards and we're going to put a line and work on controlling those significant hazards. This has been another episode on Workplace Safety by Tony Collins. For more tips, visit safetyhub.co.nz and join the free newsletter.